morning, everyone. Uh, Pastor Rob, thank you for that kind introduction. I do have to make one correction. Um, it's 600 uh, rested landings, not 6,000. Uh, no, no one has ever achieved 6,000. There are only a few that have made more than 1,000. And uh, so I'm not one of those, but still, uh, thank you for your kind introduction. Uh, PF, Pastor Fletcher, or as my grandchildren used to call you, Grandpa Fletcher, back at Weymouth Church. Um, you see, by the time that uh, I had children of my own, both my parents, had, uh, my father and my father-in-law had died. My father had cancer. My uh, wife's dad was killed as a test pilot, as a Marine Corps test pilot, back when she was three years old. <coughs> Excuse me. And when we were in Weymouth, uh, I was stationed at Naval Air Station South Weymouth as the executive officer. Uh, Pastor Fletcher loved on our kids so much, they call him Grandpa Fletcher. I'm getting emotional. <laughs> um, and they still do. So thank you for loving on us. Whew, excuse me. Pastor Fletcher asked me a while ago if I'd be willing to give a talk on Veterans Day. And how can you say no to Pastor Fletcher? <laughs> so here I am, and I will try to accomplish that mission. So... I do solemnly swear that I will support and defend the Constitution of the United States against all enemies, foreign and domestic, that I will bear true faith and allegiance to the same, that I take this obligation freely and without mental reservation or purpose of evasion, and I will true and faithfully carry out the duties upon which I am appointed, so help me God. I took that oath uh, back when I was uh, 18 years old and entering the Naval Academy. And all of you who have served have taken an oath very similar to that. It's a calling to defend our great republic against all enemies, foreign and domestic. And I lived that call for 34 years, as you heard, and also seven years as a civilian servant. Notice that I did not swear an allegiance to a person or an office. I swore an allegiance to an ideal, a dream of self-governance and independence. An ideal based upon biblical truths that our forefathers held. The truths of life, liberty, and equality are self-evident. This ideal was conceived in the blood of the Massachusetts Minuteman back in Lexington and Concord in 1775 as they held fast to the dream of independence. And it was consummated in the ratification of the Constitution of the United States in 1789 that our Constitutional Republic by the people, for the people, and of the people was established to secure these truths and preserve the dream proclaimed in the Declaration of Independence. A dream that stated, we hold these truths to be self-evident that all men and women are created equal, that they are endowed by the Creator with certain unalienable rights, among these is life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. The Constitution reflects this dream in preamble by saying we the people of the United States in order to perform a more perfect union, establish justice, ensure domestic tranquility, provide for the common defense, promote general welfare, secure the blessings of liberty to ourselves, our posterity, do ordain and establish this Constitution of the United States. As the book of Proverbs wrote, when the righteous increase, the people rejoice, but when the wicked rule, the people groan. By justice, a king rules the land, but a king who taxes heavily makes, it tears it down and makes the people groan. 
This sounds like the American colonies in 1775. And our Constitution, though, a few years later, gives America the opportunity to allow righteousness to increase. As the First Amendment of the U.S. Constitution states, Congress shall make no law respecting the establishment of religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof. This allows the gospel of Jesus Christ to be freely proclaimed, as we're doing this morning, so that the power of God may bring freedom from the tyranny of sin to both men and women, to be redeemed by the blood of the Lamb, to be justified and saved from our sins, to be transformed by the renewal of our minds and by the word of God, and to be sanctified by the power of his spirit. And finally, that we can live righteous lives as saints so that we may do justice, love mercy, and walk humbly with our God. This constitutional freedom alone is worth protecting. It's worth defending. Our constitutional freedom to live as believing Christians gives us the freedom to recognize the intrinsic value of every human life because they are made in God's image and allows us to give and gives us the ability to love our neighbors as ourselves. In summary, an American member of the uniformed services who calls on the name Lord Jesus Christ is twice the citizen. He swears allegiance to one ideal. That is a democracy framed as a constitutional republic by the people for the people is worth protecting and defending. And one man, yes, one man, Jesus Christ. And as such, you are citizens of both the United States and the kingdom of God. Now, I know we've already gone, gone through this, but I just want you to raise your hands so I get to know you better because I was standing up here in the front. How many served in the army? We've got a few. The Marine Corps, hoorah. <laughs> Navy, shipmates, Air Force, Coast Guard. And for you Coasties, I also served, both in Navy uniform for the Commandant of Coast Guard and as a civilian. Now, how about law enforcement and police? And if you've already raised your hand, you're doing it again, raise your hand again. All right, firefighters. Paramedics, EMT, how about the medical profession? And finally, raise your hands again if you're a spouse or parent of any of the above. A lot of you. And while, and while we're talking about veterans today, police, firefighters, EMTs, paramedics, and medical profession may not have served in the profession of arms, but they recently stood in the gap and fought for us in the pandemic war called COVID-19. And for your service, I salute you. For choosing a profession to do justice and love mercy, I salute you. You also took vows to protect and defend, save and heal, and for that I call you brothers and sisters and shipmates. Now, while we all worked in different organizations, had different, um, excuse me, we all had a unique part to play in each of our organizations. And each organization had its own language. And it reminds me of a truism that what I may say today may be lost in translation. So let me explain to you what I mean. For instance, we look at the word secure. For those people in the Department of Defense, when you tell an army guy to secure a building, he's gonna take a company, he's gonna surround it, he's gonna post guards at every entrance and exit, and make sure only authorized personnel get in and out. In the Marine Corps, 
when they tell them secure a building, they're going to find the biggest, the meanest gunny sergeant around. He's going to call on a company of Marines. They're going to storm the building, take no prisoners, and they're going to run the American flag up on the roof. Hoorah. <laughs> In the Navy, when you tell somebody secure a building, he's going to pack up his things, tidy up his room, turn out the lights, lock the doors, and leave the building. And in the Air Force, when you tell them secure a building, they're going to take out a lease for five years with an option to buy. <laughs> OK, enough fun. Let's go to God's Word. And we can pull that up on the screen. If you have your Bibles or your Bible apps with you, turn to Luke 7, or you can read up on the screen. In context, Luke was writing in chapter 6 about the Sermon on the Mount. So Jesus has just finished the Sermon on the Mount when this uh, activity occurs. After he had finished all his sayings in the hearing of the people, he, Jesus, entered Capernaum. Now a centurion had a servant who was sick to the point of death, who was highly valued by the centurion. And when the centurion heard about Jesus, he sent to him elders of the Jews, asking him to come and heal his servant. And when they came to Jesus, they pleaded with him earnestly, saying, He is worthy for you to do this for him. For he loves our nation, and he is the one who built our synagogue. And Jesus went with them, went with the elders. And he was not far from the house when the centurion sent more friends, saying to him, Lord, do not trouble yourself, for I am not worthy to come under your roof. Therefore I did not presume to come to you, but say the word, and let my servant be healed. For I too am a man set under authority with soldiers unto me, and I say to one, go, and he goes. And I say to another, come, and he comes. And I say to my servant, do this, and he does it. And when Jesus heard these things, he marveled at him. And turning to the crowd that followed him, I, he said, I tell you, not even in Israel have I found such faith. And when those who had been sent returned to the house, they found the servant well. Let us pray. Father God, you're rich in mercy, and because of your great love, you called us even when we were enemies of the gospel and dead in our sin and trespasses. You made us alive together with Christ, and by your grace we have been saved. For by your grace we have been saved through the faith of your Son, Jesus Christ. And this is not our own doing, but this salvation is a gift from you, Lord, not as a result of anything we could do or earn, so that we may not boast before you, the living God. For we are your workmanship, created in Christ Jesus, and under your authority to serve your kingdom and participate in your righteous works, which you prepared beforehand for each and every one of us, that we should serve you by walking in them. Therefore, Lord God, give us a humble, repentant spirit to love you above all else. Give us eyes to hear and ears to see. Ears to hear and eyes to see. Let your word penetrate us, and may your Holy Spirit guide us to put on your armor and under your authority lead us to storm the gates of hell as servant warriors for the kingdom of God. May the words of my mouth and meditations of my heart be pleasing in your sight as I present your word in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. So as a former military officer, I was always trained to give the bluff, the bottom line up front. So what's the main objective of, the, of what I'm going to tell you today? We are called to serve. Service was an, is and was an honorable calling. The question always comes up, and you heard it in the video, can a Christian also be a soldier or in the military? Well, let's start by looking at the scripture here in Luke 7. Who made the request of Jesus to heal his servant? It was a centurion. Well, what's a centurion? Many of you may not know. 
He was a non-commissioned officer who led approximately 100 men, hence the name Centurion from Century. In today's term, a squad of six to 10 soldiers is led by a sergeant. A platoon has three to four squads or 30 to 40 soldiers. And a company will have three to four platoons, which could be anywhere from 100 to 250 soldiers. So this centurion would have been the equivalent of an army sergeant first class, an E7, or a gunny sergeant, uh, E7, or higher. In the Navy, we call an E7 chief petty officer or chief. And if you ask them, they will tell you they run the Navy. <laughs> what else do we know about the centurion? Well, we know he was stationed in the Galilee region near Capernaum. He was a Roman legionnaire. And remember, Rome had invaded the Middle East, had won and occupied all of the area as part of their empire. So think about it. Here you have an enemy NCO who is in command of 100 soldiers to do his bidding and enforce whatever the emperor says to do. And for any reason against Israel and the Jews. And the Jews, they just wanted to live free. They wanted to be free from occupation and taxation. Additionally, because he wasn't Jewish, he was a Gentile. That alone made him hated by the Jews because they wanted to be separate from everybody else. Now he has the audacity to make a request to the Jewish rabbi, to, who was known for healing people because his servant was sick. So how did this centurion approach Jesus? Did he say, I'm a centurion. I command 100 soldiers. Heal my servant or else, Jesus. No, he didn't do that. I wonder how the Lord would have responded if he actually did that. I guess we'll never know. So what did he do? First, he knew the people he was occupying. He was sensitive to their customs and he understood their religion. And he was kind to them. How do we know that? Because in verses 3 to 5, the centurion sent Jewish elders to Jesus to represent him. The elders spoke well of him. And they said, he loves our nation, and he built our synagogue. That's a very interesting comment. And I want you to think about it. Why would a Gentile soldier build a Jewish synagogue for people who hated Rome and everything he stood for? What did Jesus do? Did he tell the elders, I'm not going to deal with this Gentile dog, this Roman soldier? No, he went with the elders to convert him. And when Jesus was closed, what did the centurion do? He sent more people to Jesus. He didn't try to glide hand Jesus. He didn't try to cajole Jesus. He didn't try to even meet Jesus. But what he did say was shocking. I'm going to repeat this. Lord, do not trouble yourself, for I am not worthy to come under, for you to come under my roof. I did not presume to come to you, but say the word, and he will be healed. For I, too, am a man under authority, and I say to one soldier, go, and he goes, to one, come, and he comes, and my servant, do this, and he does it. And what was Jesus' response to this? He marveled. Those two words, he marveled, is almost as profound as when uh, he saw Lazarus in the tomb, he wept. And then he turned to the crowd and said, I tell you, not even Israel have I found such faith. Now, what's interesting about Jesus' response is this, Jesus marveling only occurred three times in the Gospels. One at Nazareth, when he tried to preach and teach there, and the people didn't believe him because he was the son of Joseph. And they go, who are, you going to who are you to tell us about the Lord when you're just the son of a carpenter? But the two other times was when he uh, were 
was, this story was told in, as a centurion. And the first one was in Mark 8, and this one in Luke 7. So after Jesus marveled at the faith of the centurion, and after Jesus told his Jewish followers that they didn't have the faith of a Roman Gentile soldier, and by the way, that comment alone would have been a slap in the face to his own disciples and the people following him. First, what did he do? He healed the servant with his word. Just like he spoke creation into existence, just like he calmed the sea, just like he healed others and cast out demons by his word. For Jesus, as John told us, Jesus is the word, and he's the way, the truth, and the life. Now, here's something interesting to ponder. Did then did Jesus tell the centurion, drop your sword, give up your command of a hundred soldiers, stop fighting for this accursed Roman empire? He didn't. He rather, he praised the centurion for his faith. So this leads me to my next thought. What does God think of soldiers and those in the military? Well, let's think about David. What did God say about King David, a conquering warrior king who grew the Jewish empire to the largest ever, ever was? When Samuel anointed David, the Lord said to Samuel, do not look on the appearance or the height and stature of a man. For the Lord does not see as man sees, but man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord sees into the heart. And what did God see in David? I have found in David, the son of Jesse, a man after my own heart who would do my will. That's what the Lord was looking for. And what did God promise David? Messiah would come from him. And we, see, we know that from the David uh, covenantal promises that God gave him. John the Baptist. What did John the Baptist think of? Now we're in the New Testament. What did he think of soldiers who came to him? Did he tell them to stop being soldiers? No. Luke 3, 14, the soldiers also asked John, and we, what shall we do? And he, John the Baptist, said to them, do not extort money from anyone by threats of false accusations, but be content with your wages. Jesus Christ, we have seen that he did not say anything negative to the centurion about being a soldier. And we don't know that he said anything negative to any other soldier. And finally, Peter when the Lord sent Peter to preach to the Gentiles, who did the Lord send Peter to? Cornelius and Centurion in Caesarea. So Peter opened his mouth and said, Truly understand that God shows no partiality, but in every nation, anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. And later, after preaching the gospel, while G Peter was saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word. And while they were hearing and speaking in tongues and installing God, Peter declared, can anyone withhold water for baptizing these people who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. In Acts 11, as he reports back to the other apostles and the other disciples what happened, he said, then to the Gentiles, God has granted repentance that leads to life. So God led the way to the Gentiles to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ to the Gentiles starting with the centurion and his family. This leads me to my second point, the upside-down world of the gospel. For those who have served in uniform or actually any big organization, you understand the term chain of command. It looks like a pyramid with the commanding officer at the top and the soldier, sailor, airman, or marine sitting at the bottom. Most corporations function the same way. The CEO is at the top and the cashier, the lot, the line worker for the factory, 
the salesperson, the software coder, the truck driver are all at the bottom. And we all know individuals who have abused their position and lorded over them, lorded that position over us. Even the disciples before Jesus' death and resurrection were vying to be top dog in the kingdom that they thought Jesus was going to bring because they thought it was going to be an earthly kingdom. They still didn't understand it was going to be a heavenly kingdom. And how do we know this? Because in Matthew 20, he writes, the mother of the sons of Zebedee came up to Jesus with her sons and kneeling before him, she asked him to do something for her. And Jesus said, what do you want? She said, say to your, these two sons of mine, one to sit on your left hand and one to sit on my right hand in your kingdom to come. And of course, Jesus responded to her, that's not up to me, that's up to the Father. But his next comments turned the whole chain of command upside down. Jesus called to them and said, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them and their great ones exercised authority over them, but it shall not be so among you. But whoever should be great among you shall be your servant, and whoever be first among you shall be your slave, even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and give his life as a ransom for many. Wait a minute. We're talking about the God-man. We're talking about God. He's one with the Father. He's one with the Spirit. He created everything. But what did he just say? To be great, you must be a servant. To be first, you must be willing to humble yourself like a bondservant or a slave. And what is the ultimate form of service? To be willing to give your life for another. This is how Jesus spells leadership. S-E-R-V-E, -E, serve. A Christian leader of any organization must be willing to carry that organization on his or her shoulders. And how did Jesus come to serve? How did he set the example for his disciples to serve? We know that he preached and he taught. We know that he cared for the sick and he healed and he cast out demons. But the night before he was crucified, he demonstrated the ultimate object lesson of service. John 13 records, Jesus knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going back to God rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments and taking a towel, tied it around his waist. He poured water into a basin and washed the disciples' feet and wiped them with the towel that was wrapped around his waist. He came to Simon Peter who said, Lord, do you wash my feet? And Jesus answered him, what I am doing you do not understand, but afterwards you will. Notice what John said in this episode. God the Father had given everything into Jesus' hands. Jesus came from God. He's going back to God. Therefore, Jesus is God. But what does God do for his disciples? Knowing that he's about to suffer the cruelest death known to man at that time, crucifixion. He put on the clothes of a slave. He humbled himself with the most humble job a slave could do, washed the feet of the people in the house. He, they were the guests of his Passover dinner, hosted by himself, Jesus, our own Passover lamb, he washed their feet. And in their letters, Paul and Peter call themselves apostles and servants. Even Jesus' half-brothers, James and Jude, wrote in the beginning of their letters, James, a servant of God and Lord Jesus Christ. Jude wrote, Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ and a brother of James. The Greek word being used here for servant is doulos. 
The word covers a range of relationships from slave to bond servant or just servant or slave. But, and it depends upon the context, how it's rendered in, in today's English. But it's noteworthy that the apostles use the subservient term to describe themselves, even though they had the authority to proclaim the word of Christ. The point I'm trying to make is that after the resurrection of Jesus Christ, the disciples of the apostles now finally got it. They understood their roles in this fledgling church. This Christian leadership role was and still is diametrically opposed to what the world offers when they offer those who seek positions of leadership. They were servant leaders, just as Christ came to serve and die. They understand their role to serve the church of Christ first. They served and died martyrs' deaths for the sake of the gospel because they knew their Lord lives. And in proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ and serving the body of Jesus, body of Christ comes first before themselves. Which brings me to my final point, and I hope I haven't taken you too long of your time. Dependence on Jesus Christ brings independence from the tyranny of our own sin. As Americans, we cherish our freedoms. We guard our freedoms, especially those described in the Bill of Rights, the first 10 uh, amendments of the Constitution, which spells out our rights as citizens in relation to our, uh, the government's role. As I said before, I felt these rights of citizenship were worth defending and protecting and preserving for my children. They are the, one of the reasons why I served in the armed forces. Yet Jesus calls us to a life of humble repentance and dependence upon him and his saving grace. So what changed the disciples from unbelief before the, his death to be calling themselves servants of the living God? Well, after his death on the cross, the disciples met the resurrected Jesus Christ face to face. They saw him ascend into heaven and they received the Holy Spirit of Pentecost. Then they understood the true freedom that comes with a life devoted to the God-man, Jesus Christ. Matthew told, Jesus told them, and I repeat from Matthew 11, take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly of heart. And you will find rest for your souls, and my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And what is Jesus saying here? Let me harness you to myself for I will guide you through life and take care of you. And again, Jesus told them this in John 15, abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear his fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. And what is Jesus saying here? Without me, your life is essentially meaningless. You can do nothing of true value apart from me. So Jesus is saying, unite to me. Be dependent upon my love, grace, mercy, and my spirit will guide you in all the truth as you journey in life. As a senior at the Naval Academy, as Pastor Rob said, I finally came to understand the claims of Jesus as God. And I realized who I was facing that God, my sinful self. So I repented and gave, uh, settled the lordship issue with him. I gave up my independence and I gave it up for a life led and transformed by Jesus Christ, and I've never looked back. With Christ as my true commander-in-chief, I have gained purpose in my life well beyond myself. Jesus has guided me through this journey in life, and he has not done with me yet. And how do I know that? Because while flying for the Navy and many other times, God has preserved me through several jet 
accidents. And I, walking away from that broken down jet, I asked myself, oh my God, I should have just died, but I'm alive, what now? Where do you want to take me? Now that I'm older, every morning I wake up, I realize that's a good morning. <laughs> and I try to remember to ask Jesus, now what? What do you have in store for me today? But I also must be willing to listen to him that in the morning, to hear his voice. And uh, when I usually do, he says to me, this is what I told you, old man. What I require of you, to do justice, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with me, your God. So I know that I can do nothing good, nothing of eternal importance, without abiding in my Lord Jesus Christ. So in summary, to all of you veterans, law enforcement, first responders, medical staff, and to your spouses, I salute you. You took a vow to support and defend and protect an ideal and your fellow citizens. An ideal that all men and women are created equal in the image of God and therefore are created to be worthy to be protected and defend. You took a vow to serve. And Christ said, the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve to give his life a ransom for many. And John recorded Jesus as saying on the night before he's crucified, greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. And you are my friends if you do what I command you. Love one another. Jesus Christ is our ultimate servant leader who calls us to a life of service and sacrifice. And alone, he is the root of our salvation. And remember, the works of our service are the fruit of being united to Christ. So who do you serve today? Yourself, your wealth, your health, your position, your children? Or are you willing to live in freedom? Freedom from your sinful nature. Freedom to follow the Lord Jesus Christ. Free to serve others in the joy and by the power of the Spirit of the Lord. Then have you declared your dependence upon Jesus Christ? Our Commander-in-Chief, our King is calling you. Have you heard his call? Have you surrendered your independence to live dependently on the King of Kings? Are you following his orders to serve and love one another? Remember, you are called to serve. And today, I challenge all of you to answer his call. Thank you. Thank you, uh, Scott, so very much. Will you bow with me in prayer, please? As I reflect on all we've heard, the verse that often comes to our mind when we think of those who have served our country, some who made the ultimate sacrifice. Greater love hath no man that a man lay down his life for his friends. But there is only one man, the God-man, as Scott said, who when laying down his life was able to have all of our sins imputed to him in order that he might forgive you and me. If you're here this morning, we are so glad you're here, regulars, visitors. But if you've never trusted the Lord Jesus as your own personal Savior, I really want to encourage you to do that right now in the quietness of this moment. Just a simple prayer that comes from your heart. When God sees your heart, your motive, your attitude, which I think are much more important than any words I can give you. But just in your own way to say something like, 
Thank you, Father, for loving me. Thank you for Jesus who died for me and rose again. The best way I know how, right now I trust him alone as my personal Savior. Please, Holy Spirit, do that in the hearts, the minds of people that only you can do to make the gospel of Christ come alive to them. We pray that you would bring many to Christ today, whether here in this auditorium or watching afar. We thank you for this good message of service. Thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.